Support for the Lincoln Project podcast comes from Odoo. If you feel like you're wasting time and money with your current business software, or just want to know what you could be missing, then you need to join the millions of other users who've switched to Odoo. Odoo is the affordable, all-in-one management software with a library of fully integrated business applications that help you get more done in less time for a fraction of the price. To learn more, visit odoo.com Lincoln. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash Lincoln. Odoo, modern management made simple. Welcome back to The Lincoln Project. I'm your host, Reed Galen. Today I'm joined by three guys who I think have done some really incredible things in American politics in the last year. Ben, Brett, and Jordan Mycellus. They're the three brothers who co-founded Midas Touch last March, and their purpose, like ours, was to stop Donald Trump, and now as we go forward, is to help protect democracy. And so just want to say good morning to you guys, and thanks for coming on. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. So for me, politics is a family business, but it's a different thing, right? My dad was in it, and I grew up in it, and I sort of became just the next generation of my family, which I will be the last generation of my family to do it. But I want to know from you guys, you know, brothers, I don't believe any of you were sort of campaign guys by nature or by profession. So how did you guys come up with this idea? And, you know, give us a little bit of the origin story. Obviously, 2020 was the year for most of us. And, you know, you guys charged onto the scene and you haven't let up yet. So where did you come from and how did you get going? Yeah, this is Ben speaking. We're not political at all. I'm a civil rights litigator, went to Georgetown Law School. One of the big cases I litigated was the Colin Kaepernick case against the NFL. Brett is an Emmy Award winning editor, worked at The Ellen Show and a bunch of other big productions, but superstar editor. And Jordy is a marketing award winning marketer out in New York. I'm 35 now, Brett's 30, and Jordy is 27. And we're sitting there in March, basically a year ago to this day, as we're watching these, you know, quote unquote press conferences that. Donald Trump is spewing disinformation, and we were all incredibly scared. We were all pissed off at what we were watching, and we knew we had to do something. And so we created this concept called Midas Touch. We didn't know what it was going to be. We didn't even know at that time what a political action committee was. We just wanted to bring our talents together to expose the lies that were out there. We thought the media really wasn't doing a good job exposing it. So we just started off with some articles, a video here and there. And then we did some of these videos that started to take off and got millions of views. And it was clearly we we, uh, hit a chord of something that was missing. And it was also, interestingly, an area too that Lincoln Project had occupied. And so what ended up happening was between Lincoln Project and Midas Touch, you know, us coming at it as three brothers who identified as Democrats, and Lincoln Project coming from the angle it came at, you know, we both kind of were in this space, but we never had that political background. Well, and clearly you didn't need it. But I think, Ben, one thing you said, though, was that, you know, you're sitting there and you're watching these things and you said, you know, we just can't take it anymore. We're going to do something about it. You know, a lot of that kind of energy, I think, unfortunately goes unspent, but for, you know, angry posts on Facebook or liking or retweeting something on Twitter or screaming at a television, right? But you guys took it to the next step. And so, Brett, as the editor, and I assume lead creative guy, what was the sort of ethos you were looking for in this? I mean, one thing that we always said was, 
the thing about Trump is that you never have to lie about him, right? Everything he says and does is so outrageous that just tell the truth. And, and a lot of times the story will care itself. But what was sort of the perspective you guys were trying to take as you started this? Yeah, well, you know, like Ben said, like we didn't go to the outset with like, you know, these are the people we're going to be targeting. These are the kind of videos we're going to be doing. We just are like, we need to get our thoughts out there because we don't think that the media is doing a good job, that the typical party structure is doing a good job at showing how truly cruel and evil this man is. And so, you know, when we started making these videos, really by necessity, because we didn't have any money, we didn't have any infrastructure. It's literally just the three of us and I'm the one person who edits. So we're like, how do you even make a political ad? I knew how to make little videos for the Ellen DeGeneres show and and videos for movies and trailers and things like that. I never made an ad before. And when we think about political ads, you typically think about that sort of deep kind of voiceover, like, you know, there was a president who did X, Y, and Z in a world. And we were like, well, we're not going to do that. And we're not going to do that for a few reasons, because A, it's corny and B, we don't even know, like, who do we go to? Like, we don't even have a voiceover person. How much does that even cost? Like, we didn't know anything about this at all. So what our strategy early on became was, you know what? What we're hearing in the news, what Trump is saying himself, we could use his own words against them and have that be the narration that drives the narrative through our ads. And so that became our style. That limitation actually became sort of our creative style that led Midas Touch to be what it is today. And so one of the first ads we did was Ronald Reagan's Are You Better Off? We used his debate performance against Jimmy Carter. We juxtaposed the things that Reagan was saying with the realities on the ground, with people dying, with people losing their jobs, with empty supermarkets. And that video took off incredibly quickly. And then at that point, it just became, okay, how do we kind of keep this momentum going? And how do we start to sort of establish to people that are seeing these videos that are starting to go viral that, oh, that's a Midas Touch video. And then one of the follow-ups we did, which really solidified our style, was a video called The Snake which used Trump's xenophobic speech that he would give going around on the campaign trail about the snake. And we combined it with, you know, making Trump the snake himself. And that juxtaposition, the way that video hit, I think took Midas Touch to the next level and showed people like, yeah, we're not messing around with this. Then we Googled, what is a pack? (laughs) (laughs) Then you went to the FEC website and you filled out a form and you opened a bank account. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is how a super pack becomes a thing. It's true. You know, it's interesting that you talk about this getting started with a Reagan thing because that's, you know, that was back in May of last year. It was our reworking of a Hal Riney 1984 spot of Morning in America that was during Ronald Reagan's reelection campaign when it was images of people getting married and going to school and getting in cars to go to work and, you know, raising the flag. Very patriotic. Remember, Reagan won 49 states that year. So this was a good campaign at a good time for him. But I think it also goes to the fact that, you know, Reagan was pretty good at what he did, regardless of whether or not you agreed with his politics. And I think it's interesting that both of us had our origin pieces in things that harken back to him, both in 80 and 84. And so, Jordy, as you took off, now you start to do a little bit more. You just probably pick up the pace. And so how does it go from we're three brothers making an ad here? We had made another ad. We're starting to gain some traction to you know, the process of becoming a political entity, right? Becoming a player in the space. It was really interesting to see pretty much overnight exactly what Brett said after we dropped the snake, for example. I mean, Midas Touch just went to the next level. 
We made a decision early on, though, to make sure that we were showing up on every single platform possible just to hit all the different touch points. So we showed up on TikTok when not many people were even there, including Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, you know, you name the social outlet, we were on it. So that really helped grow us fairly quickly as well, because then you have a lot of different age groups sort of getting to know us at different times, especially early on in the process. It was definitely quite the trip. But that doesn't mean we weren't working our butts off, you know, every single day to, you know, grow Midas Touch to what it is today. Not to, you know, I don't want to do inside the actor studio here, but what was the process for, you know, coming up with an idea? Was it something you'd see in the news? I mean, from our perspective, we had a few things, again, you know, in our background being in political campaigning, we looked out across the landscape of Trump and said, okay, there's the things he's going to say and do today that we need to address. But there's also the things, especially after Joe Biden was the presumptive nominee, that we knew that the Trump campaign was going to come after Biden on that Biden was not guilty of, that Trump usually was. And so we went out of our way to cut off those avenues of attack before Trump could get there. And I like to say that we had a morning meeting every day and whoever had the worst idea, their ad got made. (laughs) So like, you know, how did you guys come to the idea of, okay, this is what we need to do? Were you guys reactive in nature, proactive in nature? Was there a time when you said, this is an unaddressed piece of the argument or the campaign? How did you guys work through those things? I'll let Ben answer this, but first, I want to break some news on this podcast, though, first, because Uh-oh. he brought up the Morning in America spot. Rob, get our breaking glass sound effect ready. <laughs> get your breaking news ready, everybody, because we actually never mentioned this before publicly. But after we did the Are You Better Off ad, one of the next ideas that we had was I texted the group and I said, have you guys ever seen the Morning in America Ronald Reagan ad? We should do Morning in America, but spell Morning M-O-U-R-N. Oh, really? And let's create an ad based on that framework, but with all the horrible shit that's going on in Trump's America. And literally, like I said, we had no money, we had no foundation, we had no nothing. (laughs) So Ben recorded the voiceover like on his iPhone as like a scratch track until we were able to figure it out. I loaded it into like Adobe and I was ready to edit that. And then I think like the next day, you guys released your Morning in America ad. And I was like, oh shit, thank God we did not do this because this is so much better than we would be capable of right now. But it was crazy how great minds thought alike. It taught us a good lesson early on, just, you know, going back to our approach then became this always on approach where we were constantly churning out edits and making sure that we were up to speed as much as possible, because if not, you guys were going to make the video and it was going to be great. But I think here's though is in one thing that I think we saw though, is I'm sure if that you put a Venn diagram around the folks that watched our collective videos, our videos and y'all's videos, right? There's probably a lot of crossover. But I think the point is, and this is something that we talked with John Heileman on the circus last year was, you know, we really believe that filling the vacuum was a hugely important piece of this. Just the volume of stuff that you could push out into the ether that was keeping that machine spinning. And is what I think you guys saw too, is that you might start on TikTok, you might start on Twitter, you might start on Facebook or YouTube or wherever. But as you see those views click from 10,000 to 20,000 to 50,000 to 100,000 to 500,000, what happens now is that the reporters now start to pay attention. The political activists start now paying attention and that network effect takes over and you jump the air gap from the digital world to the mainstream media world. And now you're having a real effect on what's going on, if that makes sense. And so I think that's absolutely right. I think for us, it was always, yes, speed, and volume. How much stuff can we do? How many hits can we find? And we we tried to have, again, because our background is in political campaigning, you know, what's a tentpole spot going to be for the week? What's going to be a state-based spot for the week? And then 
in our world, we'd call rapid response, right? That we were going to get something moved out in a hurry because of something Trump said or did or some event in the news. So, Ben, yeah, tell us a little bit about you guys, you know, open your Twitter feed and see what's going on every day and say, hey, you know what, that's something we should go after. So we've done about over 500, probably even close to 600 videos now since we started, which is a ton. Brett doesn't leave that room right there. Is <laughs> is true. It's just a true statement. So he just edits on his Peloton? <laughs> I edit. I run to the my fake Peloton. I come back here. I edit some more. That's, that's what I do. We're all on a text thread, and we just stay in touch with each other, you know, throughout the day on what's going on. You know, it's kind of the James Carville. I think he may have said it on Lincoln Project podcast he's like you know the problem with democrats he goes they have too much fucking conference calls it's always conference calls after conference calls i'm done with these fucking conference calls just do it you know and so that was kind of <laughs> the style where we would be we'd have a good idea we talk through it but we wouldn't over ideate you know we'd go all right that's a great idea let's execute it let's put the elements together all right maybe change that change that are we good yeah get that out boom that's how video and sometimes from beginning to end the process could be as short as two and a half to three hours from an idea on our text message to that video actually finding its way on Twitter. And our view was, I don't think one specific video in 30 seconds is going to change a human being's mind and say, you know what? I was a Trumper. Now I'm a Democrat. Thank you for that 30 second spot. But it's the totality of all of the impact of all of the info. In 2016, it was just all Trump in digital spaces on Facebook, on Instagram. Everywhere you looked, it was just Trump. And the Democrats and the Clinton campaign just took for granted that their people would show up without motivating them. And this time we thought, no, every single day we need to smoke Trump out of all of these digital spaces and we need to be just everywhere and pervasive. And I think Lincoln Project and Midas collectively did that. Ben, one thing that you sort of touched on was the idea that, you know, you guys got up and you just did what you were going to do. You know, you were not burdened by the experience of having worked within party politics or campaigns where there's a president or there's a nominee or there's a party or there's activists, right? You guys could just sort of do whatever it is you're going to do. So my question for you guys is, as you picked up steam, and again, you guys are Democrats. Did you start to get outreach from Democratic groups or Democratic folks saying, hey, we would really love it if you did this or eh, I don't know if you should do that anymore. Yeah, the short answer is yes. We started getting hit up by a lot of different groups and people who wanted us. And a lot of times in the beginning, a lot of people wanted to, us to make videos for them. They would say, ah, oh, you know, it's going to take you, you know, at least two to three presidential cycles for anybody to even know who Midas Touch is. No one's going to know your name. It's going to take way too long. Just make videos for us. You know, we'll pay you this small fee and you'll be churning out videos for us. And that's how it'll be. Trust us. You don't want to deal with the legal. You don't want to deal with the X, Y, Z. And we didn't listen to any of those people. And then we had some that's people. Who pretty much say, the mantra of my life. Right? <laughs> don't listen to any of those people. Yeah. I mean, this happens so frequently in the beginning of Midas Touch. And we had people who said, oh, you guys are releasing too much content. You want to release one video, let it simmer, let people focus on that one message, and then you know, then move on to your next one a couple of weeks or a month or two later. And we're like, that's not what we're doing here. Then we had people who would say, ah, you know what? Like, you're going after him too hard. Like, 
why you like going with these like hard messages. You should try to like have this balance and and we were like you're missing the point like this is what was missing from this space you're missing what we're doing and you're missing why people are gravitating towards our content so a lot of our success it was kind of by not listening to a lot of these more established sorts of types who are in the space and i think that's why oftentimes i think the best ideas come from outside of an industry and so from our space we all came from outside of washington and we had no hierarchy here and so when we had an idea we were able to do it we didn't have to run it by everybody and say oh you know what like uh you know it's a little mean about against trump we're like no like you know we got to show who this asshole is <laughs> if it was only a little mean we didn't we hadn't done it right and look at the end of the day Biden won and the Democrats got the Senate back. And that was the objective. I love the people who are, you know, whatever, the after game quarterbacks who are looking at it and going, well, I don't think that was actually uh, persuasive. It's like, what are you talking about? The missing factor in the previous election in 2016 that wasn't there, that was here, were groups like the Lincoln Project, you know, and groups like Midas Touch. That was a significant difference of owning digital spaces. And so, Jordy, you know, as the younger one in the crew, Tell us a little bit about how you're trying to reach out to it looks like younger folks, because, you know, everybody says, oh, we got to get younger people to vote. We got to get younger people to vote, which I always agree on. But we've all been younger people right now. I attended the University of Texas at Austin. There was innumerable things I could do on Election Day that weren't voting. And most of my friends took those options. It was either too nice a day. It was too cold a day. It was raining. It was windy. I was hung over. My girlfriend was mad at me. My car broke down. You know, whatever it is a college kid can come up with, they were going to come up with. So talk to me a little bit about how you guys started thinking about the younger folks and tell us a little bit about what Midas University is. Yeah, thank you for that. The university program is something that we're really excited about. So when we started to climb up there in followers from 200,000 to 300,000, we sort of hit this space where we're like, hey, you know, we, we have this platform now. Let's use it to amplify the next generation of democratic voices. What we see from the right so many times is, and they do a good job of it, the radical, radical right version of it is they put the Charlie Kirks, the Candace Owens on their shows. They build up these characters. That's what they are. They're characters who just spew nonsense. So what we want to do is we wanted to build a university program to inspire and let kids, those, you know, 18 year old, 19, 20 year old college students and even high school students who are turning of age to vote and give them a platform and outlet to have their democratic voices heard. So we're now up to about 22 chapters nationwide. The whole program is called Midas University. And basically what we do is we equip students with university accounts. So, for example, we have Midas underscore UMaine, Midas underscore uh, ASU. And we encourage these people to, you know, recruit more folks who are like-minded, who want to push democratic causes, you know, how they see it coming to life. So whether that takes the form of a TikTok or an essay or an Instagram post or, or however imaginative they can get, that's what we want to help then amplify. Now, what we also want to do is be able to equip these students with necessary resources on the ground to recruit more folks and expand the program eventually. We're trying to get to chapters all across all 50 states. We're at 22 right now. It's been really exciting. And I guess the one thing I would add is to me, the battle right now is really, are you for democracy or are you for some weird Kim Jong-un style 
fascist strain that's just weird in America. And we as a pro-democracy have to unite. You know, if you are truly conservative, you want to conserve democracy. <laughs> a conservative view isn't let's attack the Capitol building. Let's mock victims of school shootings. That's crazy. And the Democrats before weren't good at framing issues and framing these discussions. One of the things that we did in Georgia was to frame the issues. You have looting Leffler and you have chicken Purdue. Maybe that sounds kind of infantile, you know, that no, framing. But you know what? People, but we, people but we laugh it. and once they're laughing, they're paying attention. And then once they get in there and have that discussion, we then hit them with the Grinches of Georgia and we paint them as the actual Grinches in that incredibly animated ad. And then the issue's framed. We saw, you know, back in June that Trump was unlikely to go quietly into the good night. It's why we started saying, you know, the campaign isn't over on November 3rd. It's not over until Joe Biden takes the oath of office. And we also, you know, I think we are proud, not only working with you all, but, you know, with so many other groups to have been part of, I think, a broad and historic coalition to do this thing, you know, which was to get Trump out of office and to get Biden elected. And the Senate races were harder than I think any of us would hope that they would be. But, you know, thankfully, Georgia pulled it out for us of all places, right? <laughs> like, hey, Georgia saved the day. But I guess my question is this is, you know, we're used to living in election cycles. The 2020 election cycle is over. The 2022 election cycle is, you know, nascent. It hasn't really gotten going yet, but it will pick up steam every day and every week and every month from here through, you know, next summer. So how do we continue coalition efforts when, you know, you see people sort of striding back out into their traditional Republican and Democratic roles when you see that, you know, from our perspective, you know, Republicans don't want to remember January 6th because they know it's a blot on not only their record, but on history. And it feels like Democrats in Washington just want to pretend it didn't happen because if they do, they have to deal with it and they don't want to really deal with it. You know, we like to say that Democrats and establishment Republicans are playing chess and Trump eats the pieces. I think Trumpism eats the pieces, right? Like they'll do and say anything. There is no compunction on their side. From y'all's perspective, how do we continue to march forward on this on the pro-democracy front, understanding, look, I had many calls with members of Congress and the U.S. Senate last year and activists far more progressive than I will ever be. But the one thing that we all agreed on is like we can't argue about politics and we can't argue about policy until we save the damn country. The country's not yet saved, right? We staved off disaster, but only for a couple of years. So how do you guys see this next six, nine, 12 months before we get back into the 2022 election cycle where everything will then be framed through that prism as doing the work of democracy. Yeah, I think the radical right is always campaigning, though, whether it's conservative radio, Fox News, radical right podcasts that are out there. They're always on spewing this disinformation. And there really isn't anything that celebrates pro-democracy and celebrates the truth. The truth is reported matter-of-factly and boring. And these crazy conspiracies, you know, live in this other world of QAnon and other things. So part of what we need to do is continue to always be on. We need to treat where we are right now as though the 2024 election is before us. We need to be framing this as we're looking to 2030 and to 2040, quite frankly, and engaging people in all different ways. That's why we do these unique partnerships with music stars and we work with, you know, celebrities and we work with, you know, medical professionals, you know, and they'll be everything from poems to art 
to music videos, to traditional political videos, you know, to quick 30 second spots that we're airing right now. We just did an ad about Ron Johnson. And then we have our Midas Touch podcast where we come at it from three people who weren't involved in politics. And we speak to politicians from that kind of complete outsider perspective. And we're expanding that podcast. We're expanding what we call the Midas Media Network. And we just want to have a voice out there that rivals and exceeds the disinfo and let people know what our uh, our slogan is, is that ultimately the truth is golden. Live in reality, you know, and come back to the reality side. And so that's what we're doing now. I think that's right. Again, maybe we should think about it in the context that we thought about last year, which is if nature abhors a vacuum and we know that the right is always ready, willing and able to fill it, then we have to be in there and not afraid of it. I mean, look, as you guys probably know, we've had some troubles over the past few weeks. A result of those have been at our homes, we're getting these mail pieces with our names on them and our donors' names on them. They're going to our neighbors and, and all this other stuff. And so, you know, there is a tangible cost to this stuff too. Taking on the biggest American crime family in history is not the easiest way to make your way through the day. So how do you guys look at this? And then let me ask you this too. We understand the Republicans very well. Having come from them, we understand Democrats very well, too, because we've beaten them many, many times. And, um, and, <laughs> and now that I've, I've worked with them, I love many of them. I can't believe we didn't beat them all the time, candidly. Um, but being the outsiders, right, being the insurgents on your own side, you know, how do you guys see Democrats handling this? Because my fear is that, look, Americans can like some progressive things. But we are Americans, right? We're the most obstetrist people in the history of the world, right? So there's always a limit to which Americans are going to be willing to be told what to do or how to do it before they just sort of put their walls up. And so how do you guys see that balance of Biden getting the things done he needs to get done, you know, not only on COVID, but also voting rights and all those other things that, you know, also understands that, again, the country is very divided, right? I mean, you know, 25 50,000 votes in some precincts in this country go the other way. Donald Trump's still sitting in the White House. So how do you guys see that balance as we go forward? Well, first, I want to say that people wouldn't be going after you guys with the ferocity that they're going after you guys if you guys weren't effective and if you weren't a threat. So I, I think it actually speaks highly to you and, and what you built. Would and, you please tell how... my wife that? <laughs> <laughs> I'll talk to her after this. Don't worry. But I also think that we can't be viewing this in two-year political cycles. Like, like Jordy said, we have to have an always-on approach because now the threat of fascism is always on. <laughs> and honestly, they make the job for us. You know, every time a Madison Cawthorn, a Lauren Boebert, a Ron Johnson, anytime these people go out there and are promoting authoritarianism and fascism, it makes the case for why we have to be fighting every single day and why we can't wait until 90 days before the next election to start ramping up our efforts. We need to be always on. We need to be always focused on this. And, you know, I think the Democratic Party has actually been doing a decent job so far. I'm never going to rely on them or their messaging to make sure that they're pushing, which is why I think outside groups are important to be pushing the right messaging nonstop. I think we just need to understand that the threat is not one of little policy differences here and there, that we need to be united against fascism and authoritarianism in America. And like you said, Reed, that has to supersede any other issue. We need to at least be pushing pro-democracy values nonstop because this thing could slip away so easily. We're not out of the woods yet. No. Last year was the aberration from the mean, right, for everybody. And now everybody, you know, the especially establishments, as you all know, as we talked about earlier, want to return to that mean as quickly as they can. 
because it's the most comfortable place for them. And I think it's incumbent upon us to not let that happen. So guys, let's do this. Tell me some other things about what you're working on. Tell me more about this Midas Media Network. What is it doing? Who is it? Who are you talking to? How can people find it? Yeah. So the Midas Media Network, we have the Midas Touch podcast, which does uh, quite well, which me and the brothers host. We added a uh, legal podcast to that as well called Legal AF, which is part of the Midas podcast channel. We uh, did our first YouTube series with someone named Heather Gardner. Those are great. She's incredible. She's an incredible talent. And it's uh, Samantha B kind of style, you know, comedic. And she does these great songs and she's a hit. And we're going to be adding other podcasts to that overall network. You know, we're hoping that we could also do some scripted and non-scripted works that highlight pro-democracy and exposes the fascist GQP strain that's existing. We are expanding the Midas University program and hope to have chapters at every college and university. The Midas Touch, we call it Midas Varsity Blue, is our high school program. And we are getting you know dozens and dozens of new students each week, particularly high school seniors who are contributing content. And we help them with their content and help them become you know political activists in this space. And we're continuing to churn out videos. I mean, we've done this month alone probably seven, eight ad style videos that have gotten either a million views plus or very close to that. And Jordy, so, you know, as we move forward into 2021, what are some of the things you're actually asking? So you got the college folks, you've got the high school folks. You know, I mean, this is also interesting that, you know, my eight-year-old knows how to edit on my iPhone. So, you know, for maybe Ben and I are probably closer in age than the rest of you. But, you know, I grew up with a Bell telephone attached to the wall of my house, right? So, like, we understand, like, what the world used to be, but my kids... They've never experienced anything else, and there's a whole generation of kids now in their 20s and maybe even early 30s for whom the screen has always been their constant companion. So how do you take advantage of those folks? You've got potentially hundreds of thousands, millions of editors out there, but also maybe potentially some great ideas and the ability to turn those ideas into something tangible. Exactly. And I think that goes back to our always on approach and showing up on every single platform where we can. And I implore anybody listening who is of that college age to please email me. I will respond back to you. University at Midas Touch. Let me know your skill that you're bringing to the table, if it's editing or if it's, you know, creating awesome memes or however you want to get your voice of democratic politics or just pro-democracy politics forward. Please reach out. I would be happy to have a conversation with you and talk about how we can really blow this thing up. And I hope what we did at Midas Touch is an example for other groups and other people sitting at home to say, you know, maybe rather than yell at the TV or just get pissed off, maybe I can do something. Maybe I could, you know, form a group with my friends and start making videos. And ultimately, you know, if people have good content and they're passionate about things, you know, I truly believe that that type of content really transcends and connect when you put your thought and you put your heart into it. So one of the incredible things through this journey is seeing other groups start. And maybe they're not getting the millions of views or the tens of millions of views, but even us seeing the artist who uses her talents to make these cartoons and she shares them on Twitter, you know, and the photographer who posts his photos, all that that we see, that if we inspired any of those people, that's so humbling and incredible that we've engaged them and that they can use the lessons that they've learned here to educate their family members who may not vote or may not vote for democracy. 
And don't think like, hey, if I had a million dollars, you know, I could do this. Or if only I had, you know, $50,000, I'd be able to do X, Y, or Z. If only I had this size team, like just do it. Like just do it. If you're thinking about doing it, and this probably applies to anything in life. If you want to make a a documentary, if you want to write a script, if you want to do whatever, just do it. Don't make excuses. If you want to start a podcast, start recording that podcast. Because at the end of the day, it's a totally level playing field when you have people like, you know, eight-year-olds editing videos and are able to upload them to the internet and everybody could see them. And what we found with all these creators is that the cream will rise to the top. You can't artificially, you know, inflate everything, but you could be competing with the biggest organizations in the world from my room with my fake Peloton. And let's be clear, they could all use a little competition. Yeah, no doubt. Competition's good. All right. So guys, listen. Where can we find you all online as an organization and individually? Jordy, we'll start with you. So online at Midas Touch for the group. That's M-E-I-D-A-S-T-O-U-C-H. It's actually a play on our last name, if you didn't know that. And then my personal Twitter account is J underscore my, M-E-I, two one. All right, Brett. Most important thing to me is that you follow Midas Touch, M-E-I-D-A-S-T-O-U-C-H. That's like number one, priority number one. Subscribe to the Midas Touch podcast. Uh, we've had some in- incredible guests on in recent weeks. We just had journalist Brian Karam and Representative Ted Lieu and Swalwell and Deborah Messing. We're having a, a lot Tim of great Ryan. conversations on there. Tim Ryan, Representative Tim Ryan. Be interesting to see what he does in Ohio. We asked him. So when he came on our podcast, I said, tell me you're running for Senate without telling me you're running for the Senate. And he's like, well, I guess I'll have to come back on your show if I am. And I said, all right, you just told me. No, he said, I guess I'll have to come back on your show when I do. I mean, if I do. So, <laughs> so uh, we'll, we'll see what happens there. But no, I think I think he's great. We've had, we've had some great conversations. So subscribe to the podcast and you can reach me at Be My Cellist. That's B-M-E-I-S-E-L-A-S. And if you want to contribute to our organization so we could continue our work, go to MidasTouch.com and you'll find a, a way to donate there. All right. And Ben, bring us home. I'm at at Mycellus B, M-E-I-S-E-L-A-S-B. And definitely, as Brett said, follow Midas Touch. Well, listen, guys, thank you so much for coming on board. This has been incredible. I hope we'll talk again soon. And for everybody out there listening, I'm Reed Galen, and we will see you on the next episode. Thanks again to everyone for listening. Be sure to subscribe to The Lincoln Project on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or however you listen. Don't forget to leave a five-star review. To connect with us, follow us on Twitter, at Project Lincoln, and for more information on our movement, to join our mailing list and subscribe to our newsletter, visit lincolnproject.us. Also, be sure to check out our LPTV lineup, including The Breakdown with Tara Setmayer and Rick Wilson, which airs Tuesdays and Thursdays at 9 p.m. Eastern, as well as We're Speaking, with Lisa Sinical and Maya May, which airs Wednesdays at 9 p.m. Eastern. All shows you can stream live on The Lincoln Project's YouTube, Facebook, or Twitter feeds. For The Lincoln Project, I'm Reed Galen. See you on the next episode. Mm-hmm.